2: Duke fans, welcome to a celebratory episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup. We are here to talk about the big news that happened just a short time ago, guard Jeremy Roach will be returning to Durham to play his senior year in a Blue Devil uniform. Before we get to that, time for introductions. I am Jason Evans. I'll be your guide, your Sherpa through the wilderness today. Joining me, as always, Donald Wine and Sam Klein. Sam, you look especially thrilled with the news that we had just very recently, huh?
3: Jeremy Roach coming back for his senior year. Let's go.
2: I love it. Donald, how are you feeling, my friend? It's scary hours. I love it. Let's get into it. (laughs) We will get into it. Uh, Just a short time ago, Jeremy Roach uh, declared that even though he had entered the NBA draft, he has decided to pull out and he will return to Durham to play for the Blue Devils. He, of course, last year averaged a career high 13.6 points per game. You could count on him to dish out a few assists. Uh, We've talked extensively on this podcast about the many contributions that Jeremy Roach brought to the team. Donald, I'm going to come to you first. What is it you're most excited about having Jeremy Roach back in uniform to do for the Blue Devils with next year's team?
1: So first of all, Jason, I think we've talked about this in the show before, but I believe he is the first Duke player since Javin Delaurier to test the NBA draft waters and then actually return to Duke. So very, very happy, first of all, that he is returning I think once again it adds a lot of elements. You, you mentioned the scoring. You mentioned the, the assist, The leadership capabilities. Remember, he was the lone He's captain the last year, returning captain.
2: Yeah, returning captain. Very often.
1: <laughs> very. Yeah. We, we usually our captains are sophomores and juniors. Now they. Now we have at least one senior captain, and I assume from this list of guys uh, that we have on the roster, there may be one other that can join him uh, next year because we have continuity. We have four or five returning starters. We have. You know, guys off the bench, you know, young, Reeves, Blake's, shoot, all those guys. We have the new the new freshmen coming in. It's so exciting right now. Like w- when we talk about this team, I said this before, but this is going to be a year of expectations. We have some big expectations on late put on this team, whether fairly or unfairly, the the return of all these guys plus the addition of the newbies, and even you know, we're we'll talk about a potential transfer that might be coming to duke uh to visit this week we have expectations to you know not only compete and win the acc regular season tournament but go for it all and i'm super excited about how this team begins to gel
2: as the summer progresses and as we get into the first part of the season yeah yeah wait wait i'm i'm going to cut you off I, I don't want us to do the look at all the guys coming back yet we're going to get to that in a minute i want to focus on jeremy roach for the moment sam What's the thing that you're most excited about?
3: Well, we talked the other day about how the returning guys get to share the load a little bit when it comes to leadership, you know, showing the new guys sort of how to get around, how to to deal with being a Duke basketball player. And in Jeremy Roach, they're getting back an even better version of that. The guy who has been under the spotlight more than than the rest of these guys have for, for a longer career at Duke. So I'm excited that he gets to... You know, retain that load. Continue being a captain next year. So I presume that it's going to be him and Ryan Young, who both are are named captains. That's my guess going into the season. The final thing that I'm excited about, specific to Roach, and it, and it has to do with his particular story here, is that we were talking on the last episode. I've said a few times during this whole will he or won't he stay in the draft saga. And by the way, Jason, I now I think I'm now claiming uh, that I was right all along on this, even though. Uh, you were telling us all this time that he was leaving, and I, and I didn't understand why. Here's the here's the part of it, though, that, that is most exciting, is that because he has gone through this process and comes back, it means that he's got what I hope is a fairly reasonable understanding of his potential. And I don't think that next year, Jeremy Roach's draft potential is going to be based on his ability to play 35 minutes a game for Duke next year. It's going to be based on him demonstrating a certain set of skills. And he is going to leave some of the other stuff to other guys on the team. Like he's going to be much more aware of the most valuable things for him to work on or, or the most valuable things for him to demonstrate, whether that's focusing on being a, a great driver and, and distributor out of the post or, whether that's improving his defense, whether that's improving his shot-making, some combination of those things are going to get him a better professional look next summer. Whatever of those things he he decides to focus on, I'm excited for him to have that renewed focus on a more limited part of his game as opposed to trying to be everything to everybody. You know, Sam, I think, Jeremy, you mentioned that that focus. His focus
1: really... It, it, he even said it in his in his, you know, image that he posted to signal he was coming back. He has one focus, and that's to win a national championship. He He's not focused on any of the other things, but his job is to come back and help lead this team to a national championship. But guys, you, Sam, you mentioned the continuity and how, you know, guys are coming back this summer and, you know, learning about the Duke culture as these newbies come in. For the first time in a long time, we have more players returning to Duke than we have coming to Duke for the first time. And I think that is going to be an incredible, incredible asset for us, led by Jeremy Roach, who has been there the longest of anybody. So the the fact that we have guys that are going to come in, you, harken back to the you know older days where we had guys who like would show up in the summertime and they'd wear some random shirt and the guy be like, No, get out the gym and put on a Duke shirt. We're Duke, we're Duke players now. You act like a Duke player. We have a whole roster of guys who can do that, led by Jeremy Roach, who's been around the longest and understands to the
3: core what Duke basketball is all about. It's a huge week for coming back to Duke. Will Avery graduated
2: this week. I mean, yeah, if that's not Cot, Avery, you. I
3: don't know what is.
2: That's so, such a great story. Yeah, if people, if you haven't seen that, the, the images of Will Avery uh, like hugging coach K and uh, yeah, it's so great that he graduated guys. And I, Boozer you know, did I wanna... it a couple years ago where he came back and graduated yeah, right. like, during he the pandemic this, and finished class. This was, you think that, this was you a think long
1: process. No continuity.
3: I mean, yeah, this that's is, a really this is cool continuity thing.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you know, you guys are talking about the continuity and you know, how long it's been since Duke had a situation like this. It's been since 2004 2004 is the last time Duke returned four starters from a team. By the way, the last time we returned our top four scorers, because Roach, Proctor, and Mark Mitchell were Duke's top four scorers last year, the last time Duke returned our top four scorers was 1985, 1986, when it was Johnny Dawkins, Mark Allery, David Henderson, and Jay Billis. That's my year. (laughs) That's my freshman year. I have not been at Duke in a long, long time. That's the last time Duke had this kind of returning core coming back for the team. It's stunning to think about because, by the way, we're in a completely new era. This is just nothing like even 2004, let alone the 1980s. For Duke to have, we have Ryan Young, who's a grad, Jeremy Roach, who's a senior, Jalen Blake's is a junior, and then we've got five sophomores to go with – the four or five star freshmen, it's it is a truly, truly remarkable amount of continuity on the roster. And by the way, because of that continuity, I think that it it's gonna it's gonna be something that's passed down. Like I I don't want to criticize the one and done era, but I feel like the fact that Duke was always reloading with new one and duns was out of necessity. We we literally didn't have players to be starters, to be a contender. If we didn't bring in guys who are going to be there for only one year. Well, now we're suddenly in a situation where the four freshmen we're bringing in, who conceivably could start on most teams in the country, will absolutely almost certainly not be starting for this Duke team. It's possible one of them maybe finds their way and in. And they there. don't maybe. have
1: to. I think that's the
2: point. Exactly. They don't have to. That's my point. They don't have to. And as a result, they're going to understand the value of patience. They're going to look at a Filipowski, a Mitchell, a Proctor, and a Jeremy Roach and go, oh, here are guys who are top 20 recruits. They're being patient. Maybe maybe good things will come to me if I'm patient too. But by the way, really quick, I want to go back to the thing that has me most excited about Jeremy Roach. Sam, you you alluded to the fact that, that I was one of many people who said, I think Jeremy Roach is not coming back. I think he's already decided not to come back. I think that he has, that he, you know, we've been saying almost for the entire year that he was eyeing the NBA. I believe the reason that Jeremy Roach came back sure part of it was that the NBA wasn't tremendously interested in him we we mentioned that he didn't get even an invite to the G League combine but I think a lot of it was duke said Jeremy come back and we are going to win a national title with you and the allure of being at duke you know he remembers what it was like making the final 4 two years ago I guess a year ago or whatever, you know, to be, depending on how you count your timelines. But I think Jeremy Roach, I think one of the major reasons he is back is that he recognizes I can be a part of something really, I can be the captain of something really, really special. Legacy. Just think about that. The only, you know, returning senior
1: to a team that could possibly win a national championship. If he does that, Jeremy Roach is going to be a household name in Duke Duke households for the rest of our time because he will have he will have earned that by coming back and being one of those you know again four year starters slash you know you know contributors to a team that eventually went from you know getting to the final four maybe you know you know the second round and then all of a sudden winning an national championship his legacy will be forever sealed we'll see his jersey and and his pictures of of him in the hall of honor for the rest of our lives
2: yeah and and by the way I one thing I do want to note. There are a number of people out there who have who have talked about this on Twitter and you know elsewhere that people discuss Duke basketball. Uh, it, it it appears that the thing that John Shire has done super, super well this offseason is explain to all these guys what he thinks their role is, what their path is at Duke. And I bring that up now because everyone says. That John Shire has probably communicated to Jeremy Roach. By the way, you're not—he he, Roach played 33 minutes a game this past season. You're not going to play 33 minutes a game this year for Duke. That part of your role this year will be to play a little bit less. Maybe play a little bit harder when you're in there, but your role is going to be to play a little bit less because this Duke team, to say that they're ridiculously loaded and deep, doesn't even cover it. I want to be clear that Duke has 11 guys on their roster who are top hundred recruits, and the 12th guy is a developing seven-one big man who, you know, when you've got that kind of size, those are guys who, you know, could potentially turn into something really special. We see it happen all the time. Uh, the depth, the guys, the competition in practice to see who can make the second five to just be in scrimmages <laughs> is going to be incredible. In the backcourt, it's going to be incredibly intense. It is entirely possible, nay, likely, that one of these top 50 guard wings is not going to be playing <laughs> when we have a, you know, a five on five scrimmage. It's unbelievable. Sam.
3: We were talking about, uh, sort of the legacy that you can build by coming back for a senior year. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember this, but, uh, when John Shire was at Duke, uh, he was on the ACC all Freshman team, but otherwise basically had no regular season honors. He, he was, uh, acc like all tournament team or or tournament mvp his junior year but going into his senior year that's not
2: a bad that's not a bad award is not a bad thing but that's representative
3: (laughs) of like three games right basically no relevant tournament success he'd made the sweet 16 once coming back for his senior year and you know he's now uh forget him being the head coach now just as a player he's a he's He's an important, as Donald would say, he's a household name for Duke fans because he was a starting point guard on a national championship team as a senior where he did come back and and was all ACC first team and and et cetera. But prior to that, he didn't really have meaningful uh, meaningful honors in the same way that like Jeremy Roach doesn't have this long list of of honors that he has he has accrued as a as an ACC player. Who's to say that he won't come back and and win a bunch of uh ACC awards and and take the team back to the final four and all of that stuff so he you know he, he is he is in as good of a position as John Shire was when John Shire was a senior and you know what I bet you if you asked John Shire honestly if you made him take the truth pill would he come back and play on the team that he played on or would he like to come back and play on the the, the team that Jeremy Roach is going to play on I'm not sure which one he's picking uh because that that team I I t- you guys know I love uh, the team from Shire's senior year. That's my junior year in college. Uh, I, I I loved the 2010 team. I recognize their limitations, right? They had like three guys that could score and, <laughs> and they had exactly five guys who could defend and, and they still won a national championship. So, you know, anything can happen.
1: So I was, I was right before this announcement or when this announcement was happening, when we were talking about when we we're going to meet uh shout out to my homeboy, uh, Mark Hecker, we were chatting back and forth about this and he mentioned you know, Hey, the practices are going to be insane. And I was like, look, it it, it should almost be like hockey, right? Like we should have multiple units. Like I was like, I don't know who the checking line is going to be, but I was, I basically was joking with him saying, look, guys, I hope John Shire is sitting there. Like the first unit, like goes out for the first eight minutes of the ball game. And he goes, the second, unit goes, yo guys, they put up 24 points in eight minutes. I mean, you're just going to let them beat you like that. Like, what are you going to do? Get in there and find out. And we just have a whole sub of like five, you know, five guys coming in. I, now, I digress. I don't think that's going to happen in, in, in actual reality, but I do think that the practice... Oh, I think it
2: might. Wait, wait. You know, I, I think it's entirely No, 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 no.
1: I don't think it's going to happen with, with regularity. We're not going to have hockey, like, five guys subbing in at a time.
3: I, I
2: think we'll have...
3: It, it, it doesn't It doesn't work that well in basketball. Yeah. Ask John Calipari about it.
2: Correct. And ask for a win. Dean, Dean Smith tried that for a while. It, it worked pretty effectively. Do Carolina you know program.
3: that Dean Smith... Hasn't coached college basketball in 25
2: years,
1: Jason. Okay. uh, Okay. So, so my challenge to this team is this, right? You know, you guys know I'm a soccer guy. The best team on the planet on the women's side is the United States. The second best team on the planet for many, many years was also the United States, the second unit. And the idea is if you want to play like the number one team in the country, it should be so, so terrible in practice that you go out to a game, you're like, huh, I've already been playing the second best team in the country in practice every day. Let me just go ahead and just take care of business on the court against these other guys who are clearly not as good as our second unit. I want this group to gel to the point where they feel like that they, that their second unit, the first unit, whoever makes those, those teams can compete against any team in the country and win. And I think that again, that's where expectations come in. They need to enter the summer like that's going to happen. And gratefully Jeremy Roach has a couple of people that he can talk to. One is John Shire, who again came back, played in the national championship team. One, another guy, when you talk about the sacrifice that a senior leader might have to do is Quinn cook. Both DC guys also came back, you know, stayed for a senior year, won a national championship and did it by sometimes deferring to some of the freshmen that are others. And also had a loaded lineup because again, a, you know, an All-American was sitting on the bench in Grayson Allen who didn't get a lot of pain, playing time until later on in the season. So we have some of these parallels and he has some of these guys to talk to. That's great. the great thing about the Brotherhood. And I hope that all of these guys take it upon themselves to make this a, a terrific summer where they're getting in the gym. They're getting stronger. They're getting faster. And also, the you know, everything, all those fundamentals are working well together so that when the when the fall hits, like I said, scary hours begin.
2: So in addition to the news we got about Jeremy Roach, <laughs> there was another piece of of roster potential roster news that came down today in just the past couple hours. Literally, uh, it sort of started to break only minutes after we heard about Jeremy Roach. And that is that Ernest Uded Jr., who we mentioned on this podcast, in the very last podcast, if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen because we talk about him extensively. He is, uh, he is a player for Kansas, a big man who is not a... Not a guy who gets used a lot on offense, but is a elite rim protector and disruptor on defense. Uh, really great at, at getting steals as well. Ernest Uda Jr. is in the transfer portal and we have gotten news today that he will be visiting Duke. Today is the 15th. He'll be visiting Duke on the 16th and 17th. It is worth noting that starting on May 18th is what's known as a quiet period for for college basketball, for for recruiting. And as a result, when that happens, you're not allowed to talk to recruits face-to-face. You can only, like, you can talk to them on the phone, but you can't meet with them face-to-face. They can't do visits. It lasts for about 10 days or so. A little less than 10, like eight days, actually, I think about it. So Ernest Uda essentially is visiting Duke in the last two days he can, almost during the entire month of May. And then there'll be a break. And then he says he wants to take visits to Kansas State uh, and TCU. There's certainly some speculation that it may be that he comes and visits Duke and then given his you know 8 days to sort of sit and wait so that he may he may pick Duke right away. But guys, the the remarkable thing here is that Duke is bringing in, you know, yet another guy. This would be our 13th scholarship, our 13th player on the roster who who probably looks at their career and goes, I'm going to be a professional basketball player at some point. How does John Shire keep all these guys happy? Donald, is there an answer to that? Well, first of all, for Uday, you mentioned that he's going to come and then there's this dead
1: period uh, of sorts. Uh, Just like in NFL free agency, like a lot of times they bring a guy in for free agency at the very beginning of it or at the very end, and then they quote lock the doors behind them and say, hey, you're not leaving here until you sign with us because we want you that bad. I hope they don't, don't kidnap the kid, but like, you know, make it clear that, hey, we would like, for you to leave uh, and and choose Duke when you, before you get out of, get out of Durham. um, I do think honestly, keeping them happy doesn't seem like the, the thing that's most concerning to me because the two guys, as you, as we mentioned in the last show who have been recruiting him, the heaviest have been Sean Stewart and Mark Mitchell, who will probably compete with him at least in some part for playing time in the front court, you know, because if you think about, getting you know a, a bulk of minutes. Mark Mitchell's probably going to start and get a bulk of minutes. Then you have Sean Stewart, who's literally actively campaigned for someone who is from Orlando, just like him. And apparently, Jason, I think you mentioned they had been yeah, working yeah. out together.
2: The the, the Uda and the, and the Stewart family, supposedly, look, I'm not friends with either one of them, but supposedly mm-hmm. they know each other. And, and uh, Uda and Stewart have been working out together in Orlando in recent weeks. So, so yeah, I mean, no one better than Sean Stewart to, to, to say to this guy, come here. You know, I don't mind that you will be competing for time. Come exactly. here. We want you on board. The, they're welcoming the competition.
1: And again, that's how we get better is you're welcoming guys coming in saying, Hey, this guy can be an asset to us. Even if it means I'm not playing 30 minutes, it means that, you know, if between the two of us, if I'm in the game or he's in the game, it's still a two headed monster. That's awesome. So, you know, I don't I don't think the keeping happy is something I need to be concerned about. If it's again, the guys that are going to be directly competing with him for playing time are the ones that are most actively recruiting him.
3: And look, to the same point about Roach is coming back and knows the score here, like Roach is coming back and and knows there's all these other guards that are on the roster this year. And I I think given how humbling I imagine the experience is to go to the draft uh, workout process and then get told basically like, nah, this ain't it for you uh Uday's going to come in and 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 also sort of knows the score he knows that that look he might end up being the starter but he might not like there is there is no guarantee i think for like anybody outside of like you know, i mean well i was about to say it's philip i started i was t- ticking them off in my head it's like it's Philipowski, of course is going to start well of course mark mitchell's going to start well of course jeremy roach is going to start well of course tyrese Proctor's going to start if you assume that all the returning guys are starting there's only one starting spot left and we have talked about how Sean Stewart's going to have to get minutes for Duke this year. Uh, Uday, if he comes, is going to have to get minutes for Duke this year. Caleb Foster is going to have to get minutes for Duke this year. There are a lot of guys who are coming in thinking, I don't know if I'm the starter, but I'm I'm getting minutes. And and yeah, if, if they've all got this mindset, have at it. Like, go nuts. Uh, kill each other in practice because I can't wait to hear about it.
2: Well, and the other thing is the keeping them happy part, winning Winning keeps guys really, really happy. Absolutely. Like, I'll I'll be very clear. If you said to me, "Hey, you can be a 15 minute guy on a team that's making a run for the national title, playing on national TV all the time, and everyone's talking about how great they are, and you'll be going to be competing against the absolute best and getting better in practice every day," or you can go play 30 minutes for a team that is irrelevant, you know, that a a bottom of the, you know, a, a, even a power six conference team. Uh, you a know, team low in the standings, I, I'm taking 15 minutes on the national title contender all day. There's no question about that because if you're good enough to make it at the next level, if you're good enough to make it in the NBA, if you're good enough to someday be an All-American or an All-Conference player, it's going to happen for you. It's not like it's not going to happen if you're only getting 15 minutes this year at Duke competing with the best, and it absolutely will happen if you're playing 30 minutes at other random school. I'm not going to go ahead and name it. It'll happen if the talent is there, if the work ethic is there, and if the competition is there to push you. And I think the winning and the competition are two things that all these guys understand and they are excited for. I I absolutely, none of of this is happening without these guys being aware of it. It's not like we're sitting here talking about the Minute Crunch and Caleb Foster and Jared McCain and TJ Power and Jeremy Roach. And Sean Stewart and, and, Ryan, Young and, and, and yeah. Ryan Young and Ryan Young aren't aware of it. It's not like they're like, What? I had no idea all these other guys were on this team. They're going to show up i Durham,
1: it. like, Wait, you're here too? Huh? Yeah. Didn't know that.
2: <laughs> they all know about it. And John Shire has absolutely communicated. I said this earlier, but I'm going to say it again. It's worth bearing, saying twice. John Shire has communicated to these players what their role is, what their growth potential is and how they get better and how they fit and how they progress from Duke to the next level because they all do want to progress from Duke to the next level. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, speaking of the next level, the best Dukie at the next level went next level. Jason Tatum, Fitty Burger in Game 7. We'll talk about that when we come back. Increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, co-workers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional, licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking
1: of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit betterhelp.com slash Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash
2: We are back from the break, and it is a real simple conversation to be had. How great is Jason Tatum? <laughs> Very great. Very great. Very great. <laughs> cool. Is the answer. Next one. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Moving on to the next topic. No, we only have one topic here, and that is the uh, truly impressive, remarkable performance by Jason Tatum in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Semifinals against the Philadelphia 76ers. He went for 51. I'll repeat it. He went for 51 in a Game 7 that's never been done in NBA history before. No one in NBA history has scored that many points in a game 7 in the NBA playoffs. Wow. All right, Donald, I'll let you go first. I mean, come on. How did Jason Tatum do this?
1: He he broke the record set by Steph uh, Stephen uh by Curry like 2 weeks ago.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah.
1: maybe 10 days ago where he scored 50. And he knew it, too. Like, as soon as he hit that three, he held, held up a big, you know, 50 on his hands, and he knew what he was going for. It was almost like he came into the gym knowing that he needed that level of effort and he was going to provide it for uh, the hometown Boston fans. But, look, guys, it's been so fun watching him play in the playoffs. It's been so fun to watch him get better during these playoffs. And, you know, on a team that has a bunch of guys that are, you know, wondering what's going to happen to him, You have the, you know, Jalen Brown is – third-team All-NBA, you, know, you have all these guys who are wondering what's going to happen in the offseason and how they're going to you know, keep this team together. And Jason Tatum's like, let's just go ahead and do it now. Like It's been so fun to watch him play. I hate the Celtics. I grew up hating the Celtics. I don't like the Celtics. But I love watching him play, and I love watching how he makes everyone around him better. Even if he has to take over the game, he's making everyone better. Uh, I, I was following this game, you know, the Sixers. It was a three-point game at halftime. I think the, or the the Celtics were up by three at halftime. And then their defense in the third quarter and the fourth quarter just helped them blow the doors open. Philly only has 10 points in the third quarter. I think they had like 14 points in the fourth quarter. Like, And Jason Tatum at this point was like, okay, it's my time. And I'm done with the whole Game 7 conversation. If they need 30 more points out of me, I'm going to give them 30 more points. So yo, congrats to him. It's going to be a fun, fun series with the Heat, another team that, again, traditionally I don't like their fans, but their players are always uh, guys that I admire. So that's going to be a barn burner of a series, and I I think Tatum versus Jimmy Butler is going to be must-see TV.
3: So I live about two miles from TD Garden. The Garden. uh, Excuse me. I live about two miles from TD Garden. (laughs) And uh, you could hear it uh, out here in my in my neighborhood. It was it was electric yesterday here in the city and uh, very excited. I don't hate the Celtics. Uh, I think I did when I was in high school, which was like the Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce era. Uh, Did not like those Celtics, found them extremely annoying. Uh, Nothing I find annoying about the current Celtics. They're awesome. And uh, they're having Jason Tatum and Jason Tatum going off at the end of game six. And in game seven yesterday was uh was great fun. I have been refreshing Stubhub to decide if I want to shell out the few hundred bucks it would require for me to go see the Celtics play uh the Jimmy Butlers in, in game one on Wednesday. I have not pulled the trigger yet. So any listeners who are based in the Boston area or who happen to have a line on tickets, I would love your game one tickets. That's that's my that's my plea for that. I don't think Jason, I think send Sam I, to game one. Yeah. Send send me to game one. I, I deserve it. Uh, Jason was like, why don't you just try to get a press pass? And I was like, I don't know if I could pull that off. I, th- something tells me that they're not going to, they're not going to bite on that request, but uh, that would be, that would be pretty cool to go to. It seems like I had a, one of my buddies from work was at the game yesterday and was sending us pictures and stuff. It looked like it was, it was out of control in there. So uh, yeah, extremely cool. And uh, the other fun part of it is that uh, you guys saw that Duke men's basketball put out some uh, some videos of John Shire and, and Jason Tatum playing one-on-one. I sent, I sent the two of you uh, the link to it. And my favorite thing about those videos, which is I took a couple of screenshots, uh, Duke fans who were around for the John Shire as a player era may remember a phenomenon that uh, fans from other programs, specifically Maryland, uh, really latched onto that they called Shireface which is that John Shire made some really silly faces when he played basketball.
2: Uh, if you're hey, intense, mu- not silly. They yeah. are intense.
3: Uh, I would describe them as silly. Uh, <laughs> uh, my musician friends uh, refer to the same phenomenon as picker face, which is when you're just concentrating really hard, you make weird faces. John Shire's got some weird, got some weird faces. And uh, there were some moments in that video of him playing Jason Tatum where uh, he was in peak Shire face form. So I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, and, it's like riding and a yeah,
2: bike. Looking forward never, to the to the Eastern the Conference
3: Face. Finals. Jason Tatum gonna lead his team, you know, right back to the finals. Let let let's uh let's hope that's gonna happen.
2: So uh, I'll very quickly say the thing that I found most remarkable about Tatum's fifty one point game. So I went back today, and I uh, if you go on YouTube, the NBA has posted every single one of Tatum's points from the game, in- including including the free throws. I was sort of like, really? Am I sitting here watching free throws? <laughs> but the thing that struck me as I was watching it was so early in the game, everything he was doing was going to the bucket. It was all it was all layups. It was you know shots where he would drive and then and then take a step back, uh, not a step back, but you know sort of fadeaway jumper kind of stuff. It was all inside inside the arc. Uh, and and by the way, he hit some outrageous, just ridiculous degree of difficulty shots. He had a spinning layup with about four minutes left in the second quarter that was like. I mean, I'm not sure how a human being accomplished that, but (laughs) somehow he did. So so I'm watching him do all this stuff. And then I noticed I was like, you know, he hasn't hit a three yet. And and he doesn't hit his first three in the ballgame until 30 seconds left in the first half. And then in the third quarter, he drains like five three-pointers. There just aren't that many guys that can kill you by going to the bucket and then kill you by hitting step-back 25-footers. And what he did to Joel Embiid in that third quarter, I mean, I know Joel Embiid won the MVP. He did not look he did not look like it in this ballgame. Cause Jason Tatum basically they would just run a little, you know, little pick and roll thing, little, little screen. Joel Embiid would switch on to and it was like, all right, well, do I want to go by him for an easy layup or do I want to shoot a three-pointer over him? Whatever I'm doing, it's working. And Joel Embiid has no chance to stop me. Man, that was. It was just, it was fun to a third quarter, especially was just fun to watch.
1: I loved it. I I just love, again, I love watching him play. I love his game and I love that he's taken it to the next level. All
2: right. So really quickly, we got one more item to do and Donald, you're the one that wanted to bring this up. Go ahead and tell folks about the latest um, realignment and ACC goings on that could be a source of concern for Duke.
1: Yeah. Well, keep in mind that this is all speculative. It also, I mean, my best friend, Jeff sent this to me like, maybe five minutes before we started recording. So we haven't dived fully into this, and I'm sure there'll be more information that comes in the coming days and weeks, whatever. But uh, Brett McMurphy, who is from Action Network, he is reporting that Clemson, FSU, Miami, UNC, NC State, Virginia, and Virginia Tech are, quote, the magnificent seven ACC schools. What's significant about these schools? Well, these schools have met in the past several months with their lawyers and, and other people, examining the ACC grant of rights deal to determine just how unbreakable that is. Keep in mind, as I'm sure all of you out there know, the ACC deal of grant of rights runs through 2036, and it's been kind of a source of contention amongst ACC schools as the realignment occurs all over the United States and all these different conferences. That has been something that's kind of hindered ACC schools
2: from being a part of that. And it seems like at least seven schools- Yeah, yeah, wait, wait. Schools- you say hindered, I say held the ACC together because <laughs> well, that's held, what it's uh, doing. Yeah. It
1: is it is definitely holding the conference together. I think from the school's perspective, the schools who have been entertaining the notion of leaving the ACC, this grant right de- of rights deal has kind of precluded them from even considering it. It seems like at least seven schools are trying to figure out how to break that grant of rights deal or how how much money they need to throw at it to make it go away. This is a cause for concern because if you mention, look at the teams, that listen to the teams I just mentioned, none of them were Duke, um, at least from this report. Now there's some people in the reply saying that Duke might be involved in some fashion, but it feels like at least, you know, if there's seven teams that are actively talking about how to break this grant right of deal, then the ACC needs to consider the fact that they may need to be having some more of these discussions as a whole conference in the next couple of weeks. I think they're actually meeting this week, this weekend, uh, in their like annual like you know eighty retreat that they do on Amelia Island, so I'm sure this will come up. But uh, definitely something to keep in you know just keep in the back of our minds because I don't think anything is coming quick and fast. But I do think you know some some movement is clearly being made to try and rid the ACC of this grant of rights deal and what that means for the conference and for Duke is
2: going to be is something that we just have to sit here and watch. So here's my feeling about all this stuff. Either you're going to be able to break the grant of rights or you're not. If you're not able to break the grant of rights, you're not going anywhere because there's no way any of these schools is giving away at this point, what, 2036, so you're giving away 12 years of television rights, of the, all their television revenues for for any home game for the next 12 years would go to the ACC. There's no way these schools are going to leave at this point under, you know, if the grant of rights cannot be broken. So if it can't be broken, we have nothing to talk about. If it can be broken, they're going to figure out how to, how to break it and someone is going to leave because, frankly, the money that it, the SEC and the Big Ten is pulling in these days is something that the ACC cannot compete with under our current. And even if we tried to renegotiate that contract, we still can't compete with it. I'm I'm hoping and I expect because the grant of rights hasn't been broken yet that it's pretty ironclad. It was written by lawyers and I think those lawyers who wrote it knew what they were doing. They knew the purpose of what they were doing. So I think that it's probably at least five years, maybe more like seven or eight years before someone goes, okay, I reached the point where even if I have to pay a big exit fee, I'm willing to break the grant of rights. During that time, Duke fans, pay attention to what Mike Elko accomplishes, because what we have to hope for is that in the next several years, I don't know whether it's three, five, seven, for when the ACC does eventually break apart, and I think I think it will happen, we should hope that Mike Elko gets the Duke program to the point where our football is competitive enough that the big conferences want Duke basketball and Duke football. Cause right now they don't.
1: Well, uh, two things, two quick things. One, I'm a lawyer, Jason, lawyers may make contracts. They can also break them. So it, I wouldn't say that anything's unbreakable because, you know, if anyone can figure out a way it's, it's some of these lawyers, but secondly, this is on us as, as fans, to up the quotient of what Duke football is as far as a, a, a commodity, we need to start watching more Duke football games every week, every time the team is on TV, ACC Network, ESPN+, Plus, put it on your television screen. You may not think it's getting counted, but they are seeing who was, you know, especially at ESPN+, Plus, they're seeing who's logged in to what games. And if you have the Duke game on, watch the Duke games. One, because they're fun to watch. And we, we the three of us, support the team, and you should out there, too. But also because the more people that watch the TV, the more people they go, and they go, oh, well, Duke might actually be a player in these in these discussions. And we want Duke to be not just a player in this. They We want them to be at the head of the table when it comes to these conversations.
3: Guys, I have really bad news about Duke's TV ratings over the next three, five, or seven years. They're not going to put the program in the top half of the ACC when it comes to like, who's potentially going to get realigned into, into new conferences. So th- this, th- to me, this story sort of feels inevitable. I- I've said before that, like, I I don't, I don't see a way for Duke to convince any, you know, I-, I I say any, either of the big 10 or the sec that they're worth, you know, taking one more spot on that being said, uh, the logistics of of all these other programs getting gobbled up by these conferences also does not feel to me like it is inevitable. Uh, look, I, I understand that NC State has, you know, more TV eyeballs than, than Duke does. Fine. Is NC State, like, accretive to, you know, in terms of TV eyeballs, to be at least, like, in the top half of the SEC? No way. Uh, is Virginia? No. Is North Carolina? I doubt it. Uh, maybe Virginia, Tech maybe, maybe Carolina,
2: Carolina, maybe, does
3: have. A, maybe Carolina is maybe like Clemson probably is given, you know, given how good they've been, oh, Clemson in the is the last for 10, sure. Yeah. 12 years. Uh, but as I've said before, Clemson's very lucky. This is all happening now and not 15 years ago. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Virginia, not like I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced that when all of this is said and done, that, that these conferences actually want these programs around, Uh, I I would not be surprised if there are leadership in the the Big Ten that are, like, playing Rutgers every other year and going, man, why are we playing Rutgers every other year? Like, what is even the point of having this program here? They don't make sense anymore the way that the TV money is, is doled out. And if we took a Virginia or we took a NC State or whoever, like, that's not happening again either. Duke's only hope. Of, of getting picked up is that the basketball program is so awesome and is so much more attention grabbing than basically any other basketball program that you sort of, you sort of ignore the numbers around, around uh, football eyeballs. But I, I, I don't imagine that is going to happen.
2: Well, Sam, that's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to, you know, my counteract, my counter argument to you is the football program, the Duke football program doesn't have to get ratings. Like they are one of the top, you know, five or six teams in the ACC. If they are just, if they can get close to the middle, then the plus of basketball, and by the way, look at the numbers. Duke basketball draws really impressive, really impressive uh, television ratings. Um, So if you get the football where the football isn't such a huge net negative, then the basketball can carry both programs and the rest of the Duke athletic program over to one of these bigger conferences. So I was going to say with the with the ratings for football, I think when we talk about this this it,
1: you, I might have to refresh my memory, but it was like a like a you know last summer, you know, there was only like four or five teams that were over a million viewers per week and it was like Clemson, FSU, Miami, UNC and then I I I'm, I'm including Notre Dame in this because Notre Dame is part of the ACC except for football, but they were a part of this. But the great thing about that for Duke this year Is they play Clemson, they play Florida State, they play UNC, and they play Notre Dame. They don't just give those ratings to one school. So you can say, hey, if a million people are going to watch Notre Dame every week, then okay, they're watching Duke Notre Dame. They're going to, you know, Clemson, going to, you know, that Labor Day game to open up the season is against Clemson. There's going to be a lot of eyeballs on that game. Duke needs to perform, but people also need to tune in. And it's great that we are playing some of these big teams that are included in this conversation that are drawing, you know, a million plus views a week, that'll help with Duke's numbers. Because if you remember in previous years, we weren't getting those teams, but maybe once every three years, that also hurts some of the numbers that we're talking about when we talk about realignment. All
2: right, guys, that's going to do it with this latest episode of the Duke basketball roundup. Thank you, Donald. Thank you, Sam. Thank all of you for listening. I'm Jason. Here's the Duke band to play us out and take us home. I have a busy evening. I'm going to see Fast X tonight. Yes. The advanced screening. I'm not excited for this. Jason. You're not
3: excited for the new Fast?
2: No. Jason. I've seen too many of them that are just devoid of any sense. I'm going to let you know right now. I, I love you. I love the fact you do these reviews. I don't
1: give a good goddamn what you think about this movie i am going to see it <laughs> <laughs> i might see it 10 times i don't care i don't care <laughs> this is my, this is this is what i've been waiting for <laughs> i hope jurassic park i hope they so the, there's a video move going around on twitter about uh uh what if the mcu and it, if dominic toretto entered the mcu during Endgame, instead oh yeah because like he is a
2: superhero he, he's totally yeah. a superhero yeah. yeah
1: so i'm like so basically we're like okay they've gone to space now we now it's either they join the mcu or we go back to jurassic park and they're like oh uh guys we're fighting dinosaurs like one or the other has to happen in this now three-part
2: finale <laughs> i will i will say that i am more inclined to tolerate and and watch this movie than I am any of the recent Jurassic Park movies. Or far more importantly, there's a new Transformers movie coming out. Oh my god, yeah. I'm dreading. I'm dreading that.
3: Let's
1: go. Yeah, I, I saw that one. Or I saw like the, the trailer for it. And that's something I will catch on on my box.
0: Let's-